Thank you, folks. That was great today. I kid him in the early, uh, early service. I thought Tim had lined up bank robbers for Jesus when I walked out today to, to see him. So as great as they are with the mask on, just think when they're liberated from their mask. They'll be ready for Broadway at that point. That was wonderful. Thank y'all. And I want to thank all of you for being here today. You know, uh, one of the things, tell you a little secret for pastors as you anticipate the coming of your future pastor here at Moberly. There's all kind of prayer, all kind of focus, all kind of excitement on Easter week and the buildup with Good Friday and Easter Sunday and celebrating the resurrection. And then you have the next Sunday. And it's not easy for pastors to get ready for the Sunday after Easter. A lot of folks that were there on Easter, for some reason, they just disappeared. The next week, now this is a great group today. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm impressed that this many of you are here. And I want to say this, a double blessing for you in being here the Sunday after Easter. Way to go. But remember to pray for your future pastor, not only Easter week, but the Sunday after Easter, because he really needs your prayers then in coming into that time. Now, today we are looking at one of the key appearances of Jesus after his resurrection. It's his third appearance to a group of disciples, of his disciples. And as we do this, we're going to see a come to Jesus talk. That's our focus today. So I want to ask you to turn in your Bibles or turn on your Bibles if you've got an iPhone you're following along with or whatever. Turn to John chapter 21. We're going to be studying verses 1 through 19, but we're going to be reading verses 12 through 17 to introduce this text for this day. And out of respect and honor of God, let's stand now for the reading of his word. In John 21, the fourth gospel, chapter 21, verse 12. Jesus said to them, the disciples there, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question him, who are you, knowing it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and the fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, Son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus said to Peter, tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said to him, shepherd my sheep. And Jesus said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved. Because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to Jesus, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Father, as we stand before you, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, Holy Spirit, we pray now that you will convict us from your word, and that you will speak to us in this original come to Jesus talk in a way that we know you're speaking to us today personally right where we live and as always father may this be centered on your son Jesus for it's in Christ's name that we pray 
Amen. What is a come to Jesus talk? Give you a little history. In the 19th century, there were evangelistic camp meetings, and people would pray about those meetings in hopes that their family and friends that were far from the Lord would go through a time of repentance and life change from coming to Christ. And they call those times come to Jesus times. But in the 20th century, as culture became much more secular, come to Jesus talks, they took on a little different meaning. And it would often be that supervisor at work who had an employee that wasn't getting the job done, and they decide it's time for a come to Jesus talk and put it on the line with this employee. If they don't straighten up, they're going to be out of here. Sometimes it occurs with a coach and one of the players. And she gets with that basketball team she's coaching, and that girl has been goofing off, and she has all kind of talent she's wasting, and that coach says, it is time to shape up, hoping that young athlete will change. Sometimes it's a parent, and they've had a wayward child, and it's getting really serious. And they have to have a come-to-Jesus talk with that child that you better straighten up or else. Maybe some of you have given a come-to-Jesus talk, and maybe some of you have been the recipient. But in the modern-day culture, most everybody understands what this is. Well, we're going back to the original come-to-Jesus talk. And as we do this, we see it as in one of those times where Jesus appeared to a group of the disciples at the Sea of Galilee. So look at verse 1 of John 21. After these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, that's the Sea of Galilee, and he manifested himself in this way. Now, to say that Jesus manifested himself is to say that it was an appearance of Christ after his resurrection from the dead. Now, one of the things that has concerned me for many years within our denominational heritage, we have a great strength in focusing on the first half of the gospel. And what is that? That Christ died for our sins and Christ rose from the dead and nothing is more important to us than knowing that. But sadly, we often relegate the second half of the gospel that is the most important part the resurrection of Jesus to one Sunday a year, Easter Sunday. Doesn't make any sense. We need a better balance on not only focusing on the cross and never neglecting that, but also focusing on the victory over sin and death through the resurrection. And we're able to do that when we're able to look at some of these appearances after Easter, knowing that Jesus had 40 days where he was making various appearances to those who were following him or had chosen to follow him. Have you ever thought about all the appearances of Christ after his resurrection? If I were to ask you, how many appearances did Jesus make? Well, we don't know. But we do know in the Bible that you could count 10 or 11 appearances dependent on how you count them. First of all, the first one he appeared to was Mary Magdalene in the garden. She thought he was a gardener because he looked a bit different. We'll talk about that in a moment. 
And then he appeared to other women that came with Mary Magdalene, and some people lumped these appearances together with the women at the tomb. And we talked last week about how nobody elevated the status of women in all of history like Jesus because it was women that he appeared to first. But then later that day, he evidently appeared to Peter, and you can read about that in Luke chapter 24. But you can also read in Luke 24 how Jesus appeared to two men. One was called Cleopas and the other man was unnamed as they were taking a walk on the road to Emmaus. And they were very disturbed because the man that they believed to be the Messiah had in the process been killed and they were lost hopes that Jesus really was the Messiah. And then they recognized it was Jesus. And then that very night, the night of his resurrection, he appeared to 10 of the disciples Thomas wasn't there. Judas had already committed suicide. But a week later, after Thomas had vowed that he would not believe Jesus had risen from the dead until he saw the scars in his hands and his side, Jesus appeared to them again. And he talked to Thomas and he showed him the, to- the scars in his hands and his side. And Thomas realized he really is the Lord. And then sometimes after that, This group of disciples, not all the disciples, but this group of disciples were at the Sea of Galilee and Jesus appears to them. And then sometimes after that, Jesus appeared to 500 people at once. You can read about it in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 6. And in verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 15, he also appeared to his brother James. And if you'll remember, his siblings were very skeptical at times that he was really the Son of God. But his appearance to James was transformative in his life. And then later on, Jesus appeared to all the disciples at a mountain along the Sea of Galilee and gave them the great commission to go to every people group on the face of the earth with the good news of the gospel. And then finally, he appeared to the disciples on the Mount of Olives and ascended to heaven where he is at this very moment in eternity. Different appearances. These historical appearances give us more evidence that Jesus really rose from the dead. So don't overlook the importance of all of this as Jesus appears to the disciples there on the Sea of Galilee. Let's look at verse 2. Simon Peter was one of them. Thomas called Didymus and Nathanael of Cana in Galilee and the sons of Zebedee, that is James and John, who may have been partners with Peter and Andrew in the fishing business there in the Sea of Galilee, but they certainly the four of them were fishermen there. And two others of his disciples were together. Well, how would you like to be the two others? They didn't even get their name in the book. I'm sure they're important to God, though. And so Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, well, we'll also come with you. And they went out and got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. Now, this tells us a lot about Peter. He is a natural-born leader. He says, I'm going fishing, and without even inviting the other disciples to go with him, they said, well, we'll go. He's a natural leader. He's also very impulsive. We've seen that all through the gospel. He acts. He's got to do something. He's a man of action. And think about it. Put yourself in the shoes of these disciples. Jesus would appear, and he would disappear. Where did he go? Where did Jesus go? I don't know. But he would appear and disappear. And so there was a lot of times of waiting between the appearances of Christ after his resurrection from the dead. And so Peter, being a man of action, being a natural leader, he said, I'm going fishing. He went back to what he was comfortable with, what he knew in this time of waiting, because they didn't know when Jesus would appear again. 
So he's taken them out. They fished all night. To this day in the Sea of Galilee, many fishermen work all night because it's so hot many months of the year there during the day. They fished all night. They didn't catch a thing. Now, for fishermen, that's a very humbling experience, a very discouraging experience. So we read in verse 4 that Jesus appears. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Question, why didn't they know? Well, obviously, the resurrected body is different from the bodies we have now. Mary Magdalene thought Jesus was the gardener. She didn't recognize him initially. So why and how is the resurrected body different? Well, we've already seen through Jesus' appearances that he can appear and disappear. He is not limited by walls. That's pretty cool. He appears and disappears, and we see that he looks different. He's still Jesus. It's still a physical resurrection. He showed them the scars in his hand and his side. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, he begins to talk about a seed must fall into the earth, and that seed germinates and springs up as a plant. The seed and the plant are different but it's still the same substance. In other words, Good Friday or after Good Friday is the time a lot of you plant tomato plants. I don't believe there's a person in this room or joining us by live video feed today, I don't believe there's a person here that's ever planted a tomato plant and it came up oranges. I don't think it's happened. (laughs) Or you plant green beans and it comes up squash. I don't think that's going to happen. So the seed and the plant are the same substance, but they are different. And our resurrected bodies will be different. People may be a bit slow to recognize us when Jesus comes back for his church at the rapture of the church. But we'll be given a new resurrected body at that time. And I've got news for you folks. You're going to look a whole lot better. (laughs) Every one of us is going to look a whole lot better. It's going to be good. You're going to like it. So you'll have a body like Jesus, not limited by walls. A body that never gets sick, a body that never gets dead. Can you imagine that? It's going to be awesome. So at this point in the story, they don't realize it's Jesus. Of course, they're at least 100 yards out in the Sea of Galilee. But we see that Jesus stands there, and he said to them, Children, interesting way to speak to especially a rugged fisherman like Peter. Children, you don't have any fish, do you? Now, this is a nightmare for a good fisherman. But all you folks out there that are good fishermen, this is the question you hate when somebody walks up, you're out there fishing in the pond or on the shore of the sea, and somebody says, you got anything? Have to show them an empty bucket. That's so humbling. It's so frustrating. And so here's a man, he's made his living as a fisherman. He's taken the guys out all night long. They hadn't caught anything. And Jesus says, y'all don't have anything, do you? Pretty humbling. And verse, he continues on, they answered no, and he said to them, well, cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you will find a catch. So they cast, and then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. Now, I have a feeling as this story unfolds that they begin to wonder who this could be because it takes them back to the early days of Jesus' ministry, as a matter of fact, near the time that they were called to be his disciples, when they also had an all-night fishing and didn't catch anything, and Jesus said, put your nets on the other side. You see, Jesus is teaching this fisherman about the fishing business once again. And they have an incredible catch. 
Verse 7, therefore the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter. You know, I I don't know about y'all, but I often kind of wonder about the Apostle John who gave us the Gospel of John. He refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. That's a lot of humility, isn't it? He does it more than once. But, but, But here's how I look at it. Now listen, are you listening? Don't miss this. Have you ever ever met a person that was so present with you every time you visited with them, just so focused on you every time you visited them that you just really believe deep down inside you're that person's best friend? But then as you got to know that person, you realize there are 20, 30, 40 other people that felt the same way about the person because they were always so present so focused on other people they're visiting with they just make you feel like you're their best friend that's an incredible gift and I think the reason John said that it was not so much bragging as John just felt like Jesus made him feel like he was the disciple that he loved and he says to Pete Pete that's Jesus and then we see Peter His personality is full bore here. He said, it's the Lord. So when Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put his outer garment on. He he was stripped for work. He threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, but about 100 yards away, dragging the net full of fish. Now we see this, Peter's personality comes through again. I mean, he finds out it's Jesus. Man, he jumps in that water. He wants to be with Jesus. He's all in. He's a man of action. He's impulsive. Verse 9, then they have a little fish fry on the beach. So when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have now caught. And Simon Peter went up and drew the net to the land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Now, it's a great scene, folks. If you've ever had a fish fry after catching fish early in the morning or a fish fry with fresh fish broad. I mean, this, this is a good time. And you, they, they could smell that fish being cooked as they're getting closer to the shore. He's got, it, he's got the fire going. And this tells us some things about Jesus. He evidently was a good cook. It also tells us something about the resurrected body. We're going to get to enjoy a good fish fry, even in our resurrected body. That's pretty cool. That's good. I like that. He said, bring some of those fish up. And what is so interesting here is that this is a reminder of how the Bible, the Bible includes geography and actual historical events. If you'll look at other books of other religions, you don't see that. But the Bible is full of geography and actual historical facts. It numbers the fish that were caught. They count them, 153. That adds to the historical dimension of the Word of God intervening in history. And so they come up there. Jesus has got it all prepared. And look at verse 12. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question him, who are you knowing at this point that this is the Lord? And Jesus came and took the bread, gave it to them, took the fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Another thing you realize about Jesus, he's no vegetarian. He likes fish. I know that's going to offend some of you that are vegetarians or is it vegans or vegans or whatever. Uh, but, but, but Jesus, he ate fish. His resurrected body ate fish. 
So he's no vegetarian. I, that kind of comforts me a bit. So they have a great breakfast. And after that great fish fry on the beach, then we have the come to Jesus talk. And in this come to Jesus talk, we see in verse 15, so when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter. Now, I know the Bible doesn't say this, but, but here's my picture. And the reason I have this picture is because my dad had a great Christian dad. He's in heaven now, but great dad, fun dad, great guy. But when one of us, I'm one of four siblings, the oldest, when one of us siblings just, he had had enough and we had just gotten way out of line. We knew that when dad said to me, Bryant, baby, come on back here in the back room. We need to visit. I knew I was going to get a whipping. I, I just knew. There's no talking my dad out of a spanking. It was going to happen. But I'm still thankful to this day that he didn't humiliate us in front of the rest of the family. He was nice enough to take us in private, have a little one-on-one. It was his version of a come to Jesus talk. Well, I picture Jesus saying to Peter, Peter man, partner, Let's take a little walk. We need to visit. And it just seems that knowing Jesus as we see in Scripture, that this was a one-on-one time. They walked away from the fish fry, and Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, a couple of things here, folks. What is these? What is Jesus talking about? Now, the word he uses for love is the word agape, and that word means total commitment. It is a commitment to another person no matter how you feel, even if they're a jerk, even if they don't treat you right. It's still, you're going to be committed to love them. That's what agape love is. It has nothing to do with romance, nothing to do with feelings. It's a commitment. And Jesus says, do you love me that way? Are you going to be committed to me, Peter? But he says more than these. So what, what is these? Well, these is probably the rest of the disciples, his buds. Could be the fishing business. I mean, after all, that's all Peter has known before he met Jesus. Could be his career. And really, that's the question that Jesus is asking all of us today. Do you love me more than your spouse? Do you love me more than your children? Do you love me more than your parents, your siblings, your best friend? your job, your career, your church? Do you love me more than all of these? You know, Jesus' style of teaching is much more Socratic than Socrates because Socrates was known as a teacher who would ask questions to raise questions to cause people to think. If you look at the ministry of Jesus over and over, he is raising questions. And it's not that he doesn't know the answer. He's just causing people to think. And so he asked Peter, do you love me more than these? It's an important question for you and me today. Do you love Jesus more than anything? More than your favorite hobby? Do you love Jesus more than your greatest gift or talent? Do you love me more than any of these? Well, do you? And Peter responded, he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, well, tend my lambs. Now, he is saying to Peter, I want you to care for those new believers. He refers to his followers as sheep, and this is the new believers, the new followers of Jesus, the baby Christians. 
See that they're cared for. See that they're fed. Verse 16, question number two, he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Once again, use that term agape. And Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And this time Jesus says, shepherd my sheep. Now, something that's very important for you to understand is you're anticipating and praying for God to lead your new pastor here to Moberly. Realize this, a lot of people get confused in the gift of pastoring and the spiritual gift of mercy. A person, there are people here with the gift of mercy, and when there's a crisis, when somebody's in the hospital, when there's, there's something difficult going on, I mean, you want to be there, you will spend hours there, you've got that great gift of mercy. And a lot of people think that's the gift of pastoring. No, no. The pastor is called to shepherd the sheep. That is, the pastor is called for the long-term spiritual welfare of the flock that is entrusted to him. And that is primarily seeing that the flock is cared for and fed in the Word of God to grow strong as a follower of Jesus. And yes, you want your pastor, like any Christian, to have a merciful spirit when it is needed, but that is not primarily the gift of pastoring. It is to shepherd the sheep. And realize, Jesus had earlier chosen Peter to be the first leader of the church. So think about what he is saying to Peter here. Question number three, verse 17. Jesus said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now here's something that we miss because we don't have different words for love in English like they did in the Greek. And I know you think when we preachers talk about the Greek, you just kind of get turned off. He just wants to tell us he went to seminary, knows that Greek. But it does help at times because this word for love is not the word agape. It is the word philia. We get our word Philadelphia, brotherly love. It's a different kind of love. It's a friendship love. It's not just a love that's committed to another person. It's where you, you love being around that person. You, you, you're so comfortable around that person. You, you enjoy being around that. That's, how, that's what a real friend and brotherly love is about. And when he said that word for love, this is what broke Peter. Peter was grieved. Because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, you know all things, don't you? You know I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Care for the flock. Now, everybody, listen, listen, are you listening? Please don't miss this. What happened at this moment in Peter's brokenness was a moment of the beginning of reconciliation in a broken relationship. In this original Come to Jesus talk, we learn a whole lot about dealing with those who have messed up. And when Peter is grieved and his heart is broken because he realizes Jesus knows that he denied him three times. And Peter knows that's why Jesus has asked him three times if he loves him. Peter was broken here. But note what Jesus says when Peter confesses that you know all and says to him that he loves him. Jesus says to Peter, Peter, tend my sheep. Now listen to this, listen. 
You see, Jesus on the cross not only paid the penalty for Peter's unfaithfulness, his sin. I mean, what could be worse, folks, than him denying Jesus three times on the low moment in Jesus' life, the night of his arrest, when all the world is turned against him? What could be worse? Especially when this Peter boasted he would never do that. He would even die for Jesus. And he denied him three times. And now Peter knows that Jesus knows, and it just breaks his heart. And he says, I, I know you know everything, but I do love you. And look at what Jesus says to him. He says, tend my sheep. Do you realize what's happening here? It's not that he just forgives Peter for what he has done, but he says to Peter, Peter, I still believe in you. I've chosen you to be the first leader of the church. And even though you messed up, I still believe in you. And there are a lot of people sitting here today, those that are joining us by live video feed, you really believe that there's nothing you can really do of significance in the body of Christ because you have messed up bad. Don't believe that lie of the devil. That's of the devil. That is not of God. Yes, we all have shame and guilt when we have done wrong and when we messed up. But what Jesus is saying to Peter is, I not only forgive you, I still believe in you. And that's what he's saying to you today. For those of you that are sitting here and you've been on the sidelines of the body of Christ, could you think you've messed up so bad? Do not believe that lie. Jesus still believes in you. He has plans for your life. He wants your life to make a difference in the kingdom of God. But you and I, when we mess up, have to be willing to accept the forgiveness of Christ. Judas did not. What, Jesus, what Judas did was horrific and evil. But Judas could have been forgiven. But he didn't believe he could be forgiven. And he gave up. What Peter did was as bad as you can find after boasting that he would never deny Jesus and he denies him three times that very night. But Peter received the forgiveness of Jesus. How about you? Have you been believing the devil's lie that you've just messed up too bad and you just really can't be used in the body of Christ? It's time for you to say, oh, Lord, forgive me, forgive me. I've been thinking my sin is more powerful than the cross. Forgive me of that, forgive me. I see that you not only want to extend your forgiveness, but you have chosen me to be a part of your kingdom. And I want to quit missing out on what you want to do with my life. May this be a turning point of reconciliation in your relationship with God. A key time in your life. And understanding that, then Jesus says something very sobering to Peter. Verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you that when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, Peter, You'll stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this Jesus said signifying by what kind of death that he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. 
Now, this is prophecy of Jesus about the death of Peter. And history in the church is that when Peter was martyred for the church for preaching the gospel and refusing to recant from preaching the gospel, that the decision was made for him to be crucified. But he asked to be crucified upside down because he was not worthy to be crucified like his Lord and Savior, Jesus. Jesus was predicting that death, that martyr's death. But he says to Peter, he said, Peter, look, here's the key. You follow me. Now understand this. When you and I are willing to receive the forgiveness of God, no matter how much we have messed up in the past, and Christ makes it clear that he wants us to be used in the kingdom of God for the building up of the flock, it might cost you your life. It certainly did Peter and the early disciples. It might cost you your life. You see, when you decide to follow Jesus and you get excited about the fact that you're going to be blessed with the American dream, with great wealth and success, wonderful family, everything is good. It may be that you'll be called to give your life for Jesus. But however Christ leads us and however he calls us in following him, we're to be willing to go where he's leading us to go. So the question of the day is, are you? Are you willing to follow Jesus, even if it means it will cost you your life? Are you? Peter made that choice. And from this moment of reconciliation and then at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit filled this man, he went from being a coward to a mighty man of God that the church is indebted to to this day because of the impact that he had in trusting that Jesus had forgiven him. This original come to Jesus talk is the greatest one. Is Jesus speaking to you today about being reconciled to him in believing that no matter how bad you've messed up, what he did for you on the cross is sufficient for you to be forgiven and for you to be used by God in the kingdom of God? Do you believe it? And if you believe it, remember the charge he gave to Peter to care for the sheep. That means that what Christ is calling on all of us to do is to be willing to use our gifts, our talents, our time, our resources for the building up of the body of Christ, to see that people are shepherded, to see that the sheep have care, to see that the lambs, the baby Christians, are able to grow in Christ. Are you willing to be used by God in a way that builds up the church, Christ's church? Let me, let me share with you an example that really, to me, encompasses so many aspects of that. As some of you know, God has me in a new role as I retire from the pastorate of leading this ministry, Sin Relief, that is, it's our relief and compassion ministry in our denomination where the International Mission Board and North American Mission Board have joined together in this ministry. And I was speaking at a missions conference about a month ago in Chattanooga, and one of the International Mission Board missionaries came up to me and said, Brian, I think you just need to hear this in thinking about the fulfillment of the Great Commission. And so he told me. He said, I'm a missionary in Southeast Asia, 
And a lot of our focus of what we've been doing has been helping the national churches come to understand that they can use their vocation for sharing the good news of Christ. And we were working with this woman in the area where we are in the world, and she had a little sewing shop, and she really embraced that. And she began to tell all kind of folks who were coming into her small little sewing shop, shop, mostly women, mostly Muslim women from villages nearby about the good news of the gospel. And one of the Muslim women came to Christ. She eventually led her whole family to Christ, including her husband. And that family in that small Muslim village led two other Muslim families to Christ. And at that point, the Muslim leaders in that village began to be upset. And as you know, for a Muslim to leave their religion for another is considered apostasy. They can lose their life. They can certainly lose their family, which happens often. And so they were facing all kind of heat. And then, about a year ago, COVID began. And this village was so poor and so remote that it was going to be an unknown quantity of time before these people had food brought into the village by the government leaders that would be a part of that province. And so the folks that were Christians in that national church that had been discipled by IMB missionaries that you support through your gifts and your prayers, then call Sin Relief about a grant for providing food for this small village. And so a grant of just $5,000 was sent to where they could buy food resources and supplies to feed every family in that village for a month and a half in hopes that by then the government resources would get to that area. And yet our IMB missionaries called on the national church they were working with to carry this out because they were going to be the one that would eventually minister to these people down the line. So that national church went into that village. They delivered the food supplies. Every single family was given food for a month and a half. And as that church was leaving that village that day, all those Muslims came out of their homes and were just giving them a standing ovation. And since that time, some more Muslims in that community have come to Christ because of seeing the love of the body of Christ. And here's what's really cool. Now listen, are you listening? This IMB missionary that I visited with in Chattanooga said, Brian, what's so cool is you know that missiologists tell us there's about 3,000 unreached, unengaged people groups that have no known Christian in their village or their people group. And before this happened, this group of Muslims was on that list. No known Christians, no known Christian ministry or church. I share that with you to see how the body of Christ serving the sheep, caring for the sheep, and embracing those who are not sheep and hope that they will become sheep of Christ. Look at the impact that churches like this and churches around the country have in fulfilling the command that Jesus gave to Peter to tend my lambs, shepherd my sheep, tend my sheep. God has important plans for this church and for every single person in this room. And no matter how bad you feel you've messed up, 
this come to Jesus talk says God not only offers his forgiveness that we have to be willing to receive but God still believes in every one of you just as he did Peter do you believe it let's pray Father God, oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for this come to Jesus talk that you had with Peter. We thank you for what it says to us and how you're speaking to us today. Lord, I pray for those that have messed up badly. They don't feel like they can be used by you in a meaningful way in the future. They're not sure you can forgive them. They bought into the devil's lie that what they've done is so bad that it's even more powerful to the cross than the cross. Lord, may they right now say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for believing the devil's lie. Forgive me. I see that you have paid the penalty for every way I've fallen short. And Father, all of us know that all of us have messed up. From time to time, we blow it. We thank you that you are the ultimate in the ministry of reconciliation. Offering your forgiveness so we can be reconciled to God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. But Lord, we thank you that you also have chosen us and you believe in every person here. And you know our lives can make a difference for your kingdom. If we'll just seek to follow you. And then, Lord, may you guide us as to how we can care for the flock, how we can minister in the name of Jesus, how we can fulfill the great commission you have given your church. Oh, Lord, may you move mightily in every person's life here today to believe and trust in your forgiveness, to believe that you still believe in us. And most of all, Father, may we follow you, no matter what the cost, if it cost us our life as it cost Peter his life, may we be willing to follow Jesus. For we pray this prayer, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.